Have you ever had a friend tell you that the Bible is boring, that they are more into Stephen King horror novels than some dry Sunday school lesson? Then ask them what they would think about a story that had a pregnant woman being threatened by a dragon as she struggles to give birth to a son. This is a story presented to us in Revelation chapter 12. It is the story of the Bible. This is Truth Encounter a program committed to helping you meet Jesus Christ as you open up the Bible for yourself. Today's a study of Revelation chapter 12 and has drama and characters that would even send a chill up Stephen King's spine. Let's join Dave as he introduces us to the mother, the dragon, and the male child. It almost sounds like a Stephen King mystery story. Usually when you think of a pregnant woman, she comes in glowing and and she's telling us about all the reports that she has. And if you go up to a hospital like Waxahachie, they even have a special floor for you. And over at Baylor and Charlton and all the hospitals around town, they have just the right place for a pregnant mother to be able to give birth to that precious little one. I want you to imagine that all during your pregnancy... That rather than there being a sweet physician who's been trained hour after hour as a specialist in delivering your baby, I want you just to imagine that there is a murderer. That as soon as you give birth to your child, that murderer wants to take your child and snuff out its life. Now that's a kind of a mystery story that Stephen King writes about. In fact, as we open our Bibles to Revelation 12 today, when I you open your Bible to Revelation chapter 12, we're right at the heart of the book of Revelation. And John the Apostle has been wrestling all the way through the book. As he introduced the book, he introduces us to the risen Lord. He introduces us to the Savior that's coming back. But as we get into chapters 2 and 3, we find out that the enemy is attacking the people of God. We find out that the enemy is, is they're, they're a vicious animal that, and like a dragon that's seeking to destroy all that God's trying to do in the earth. We find out in the messages to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that whether it's the church of Ephesus that's struggling with their first love to the Savior or whether it's the church of Thyatira that's struggling with idolatry and immorality, every church we look at, we find out it's under the attack of the evil one. We find out that there's even martyrs in the seven churches that we studied. As we move into the heartbeat of the book of Revelation, as as chapters 4 through chapter 11 take us into the final climactic time of God dealing with evil on this planet. We started studying the last seven years of planet Earth before Jesus Christ come to set up his reign on Earth. And as we go through the opening of the seals... We constantly have this incredible conflict. God's enemies seeking to just snuff out the, all the work that God is seeking to do. As we open in chapter 12, it's like John the Apostle says, let me give you a great big panorama. Let me paint a picture that will take us back from the very beginning of the Bible and come all the way through to the present. Now, many of you, when you open up the book of the Bible, it's like opening up the telephone book. Everybody wonder, you know, you open up to Zechariah, you open up to Ezekiel, and you go, man, what in the world is going on in this story? Many people have been studying the Bible for years, and they still don't have it together. They just can't understand how it all works, and what's the story about? As a result of being together today, I want you to know from Revelation chapter 12, you should be able to explain to somebody what's the plot of the Bible. 
And like a great artist, even a greater novelist than Stephen King writing a horror story, God in Revelation chapter 12 used this very powerful imagery to get across to us the plot line of the Bible. What's the Bible about? And interesting enough, as we open up to Revelation chapter 12, we're introduced to a very dramatic scene. John the Apostle again gets to look at things from a heavenly perspective. And the chapter starts out with this incredible vision that the Apostle John on the island of Patmos saw. Look at it in Revelation chapter 12 verse 1. A great and wondrous sign. John the Apostle was overwhelmed. What he saw was like a gigantic panorama. It would be like be going to the biggest 3D movie cinemax you could ever go to. I want you to know that God the Father is the author of all that creativity. So all of you are artists in the group, and all of you musicians, and all of you drama people, God's the author of all that. John the Apostle saw one of the most incredible uh, pictorial pictograms that you could ever see, this incredible picture of this great and wondrous sign. The idea of a sign means that there's going to be a deep meaning behind this. It's going to be very symbolic. It's going to be very moving to us, very dramatic. But underneath it, there's going to be an incredible message that God wants to get across to us. John the Apostle in the book of John used seven signs to communicate to us who Jesus was. As he presented Jesus in the Gospel of John as the Messiah. In the book of Revelation, he also likes to use the idea of seven. And here's one of the major signs of the book of Revelation. It says that a great and wondrous sign appeared in the heaven. So it's as if John is being caught up and he gets to look at things not from this earth's perspective. Not from the grind down here. Not from some of all the questions we ask down here. But John gets to look at things from heaven's perspective. One of the most important things that you need to do in your own life is not look at things just from this present life. You and I tend to get all boiled up into just living these 70 years or these 30 years or whatever we might have, and we tend to lose perspective. We get caught up in just going through the routine of our jobs, the routine of our families, the routine of school, and every once in a while it's important to get up high enough and get a bigger view, to be able to look out over the whole panorama. And that's what John is doing here in Revelation chapter 12. He sees this great and wondrous sign and it's up in the heaven. So he's going to get to look at things from heaven's perspective. What does he see? He sees the first dramatic character. This is the first uh, person that's going to be presented in this drama. And it's a woman. She's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This woman is incredible and she's also pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the heaven. We have introduced to character number two. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns under his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. The moment that he was born, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And his child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There's a mystery. 
we're introduced to the three characters. We've got this pregnant woman, and as she's seeking to give birth to this, this child, who's the major character in the drama, this male child, there's a dragon that wants to destroy the child, but right when the child is born, the child is snatched away from the dragon's clutches, so then the dragon tried to destroy the mother of the child. Now, what in the world's going on? First of all, we have to figure out who in the world is this great mother, this incredible pregnant mother. Well, all over the ancient world, there were myths all over the ancient world that John was a part of in the first century. You could even take it back into the Old Testament scripture. In fact, uh, one of the most simple uh, renditions of this, of this myth was done in, in the Greek culture. As the, uh, the mother of Apollo, Leda, was seeking to give birth to Apollo. Python, you can guess that would be the dragon, the snake, the python, was seeking to destroy Leda and wants to just snuff out her life. The god of the sea, Poseidon, takes Leda and puts her on an island, the island of Delphi, and he puts the island underwater so that Leda can give birth to her baby son, Apollo. When Apollo was born, he rises to adulthood and he slays the dragon, Python. And there you have one of the basic Greek renditions of that myth. Down in Egypt, they had a very similar myth. They had a dragon named Set, who was a red dragon, fire-breathing dragon. And he is destroyed by horse. And so in every one of these cultures, you go over to Babylon and you have Marduk. And Tiamat trying to destroy the son named Marduk. And Marduk is the son of the light. And Marduk rises up in the maturity and he destroys Tiamat. And that's how there was creation. In other words, all throughout the ancient Near East, there was this myth. And the basic sentence of the myth is that there's this incredible dragon. There's a mother that's seeking to give birth to a child. When the child is born, somehow the child's able to overcome the incredible dragon, the chaos of evil. It's all that's going on. You can understand exactly the way that those myths worked in the ancient world because all of you in the modern world have been exposed to a myth. And that myth is called the... Star Wars myth. Every one of the kids and almost all of you adults have been exposed to Star Wars. And what Star Wars is, is a modern myth. It has the great conflict between the dragon of evil and the good forces of light. And even notice the clothes. You don't have, you have Dark Vader. He's not dressed all in radiating light colors. He's dressed in darkness. He's dressed in, in the darkness that's going to be the symbol of evil. And then you have the good forces of light. Even the last Star Wars, you had the birth of a little baby, an immaculate conception. And strangely enough, Lucas twists a little bit because Dark Vader's the one that's born in this incredible immaculate conception, which sounds very much like another story that you know that you celebrate every Christmas time. In all cultures, including our own, there's this underlying understanding that there's a great conflict going on between good and evil. And often involved in that conflict, there's this desire to produce a great child, a great male deliverer. Where did all that come from? In other words, is John in Revelation chapter 12 just picking up the Apollo myth and, and picking that up and extrapolating a little bit and coming up with some kind of an entertaining story here? No. 
I believe that all the mythologies from India to Babylon to Egypt to Greece, all of these cultures have these mythologies because there was a basic underlying revelation of God, the true God of heaven, that's been part of our culture from the very beginning. Because we ask the question, who in the world is this pregnant mother? We don't need to look to the Zodiac to find out this woman. That Look at the way she's described here. She's clothed with the sun. She has with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars under her head. We don't have to look at mythology to find out that kind of a woman. In fact, if you turn back in your Bible, and this is what you want to do, you want to try to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. Because in Genesis chapter 37, we have that image of the sun and the moon and the 12 stars right in our Old Testament scripture. And it's in a story that almost all the kids have learned from one time or another. It's the story of Joseph and his dreams. In Joseph's second dream in Genesis chapter 37, it says in verse 9 that Joseph had another dream. And he told it to his brothers in Genesis chapter 37 verse 9. Joseph says, listen. I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father Jacob, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous over him, but his father kept the matter in mind. In Joseph's dream, the sun represented Jacob. The moon represented Joseph's mom, Rachel, and the 11 stars represented his brother, and he would be the 12th star. And this was a dream that foreshadowed what would take place in the story as Genesis unfolds when Joseph is sold into Egypt. What we want to see is that we have this image, we have this powerful image of the sun, moon, and these 12 stars. And it's a reference to the foundation of the Jewish nation. Who the mother is in Revelation chapter 12 is the the covenant community, the covenant messianic community that from the beginning of time God was saying was going to give birth to a male child who would be the deliverer from evil. In fact, we can go back even further than Genesis chapter 37 and identify the woman in Genesis chapter 3. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. In fact, I like to look upon it like every good novelist will give you the hint to the story that they're writing at the very beginning of their story. Like Tolstoy will tell you in Anne Karina that all good families are all alike. Bad families can be, can be bad in a million different ways. But all good families are all the same. And that's what his whole story is about. In Anne Karina, he has a whole bunch of bad families. And he shows you how they're all bad in a million different ways. But he has one really good family. A family that's really building their life the way that they should. And that's the whole story at the very beginning. Every good novelist will give you the hints to the story. Because that's what makes you have satisfaction at the end. When you go, oh yeah, it was right there in the beginning. I should have got it from the beginning. God does the same thing in his word. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And as God is going over things with Eve and Adam after they fell into sin, he said this. In Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between the serpent and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Notice it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right here we have the essence of John's characters that are introduced to us in Revelation chapter 12. We have a serpent, we have a dragon. And remember that it was the dragon at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, that was the one who pulled Eve into sin. In fact, back in Revelation chapter 12, it'll tell us point blank when we get down to verse 9, it will say this was the devil. In fact, in verse 9, it says the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So John the Apostle takes us right back to this garden scene and interprets that the dragon is none other than this dragon of evil, Satan, our adversary, the devil that we, were, that we was our opponent from the very beginning. We're introduced to a pregnant woman. It says that the woman is going gonna, is gonna to give birth to a male child. And there we have our third character, this great deliverer that's going to conquer the dragon. That's the theme of the Bible. A lot of you have been asking the question, our whole culture has been asking the question, why evil? Why the destruction of children? Why does it look like planet Earth is in such chaos? And we've been wrestling with that question all the way through the book of Revelation. What I want you to see is that God chose to write history around this dramatic plot. He chose to create you and I with a will, with responsibility, with choices. He gave us the choice to walk away from him. As soon as he did that, he opens the possibility for there to be rebellion. He opens the possibility for love and for relationship and freedom. But he also opens the possibility for us to walk away from him, which is exactly what the human race did. And Genesis 3 has shown us the source of all evil. Now, as soon as man chose to walk away from him, God could have said, well, that's it. I'm going to stomp on man and let's start again. But he didn't. Because that was the essence of the story. From beginning to end, from the very beginning, God could see the end. And God has chosen to write an incredible story that's exciting, that's filled with drama. It's filled with incredible conflict, like every good story is. And that's the story that God's writing in history. You can fight against it. You can tell him you don't like the story, but you're going to be ground on the wheel of his plot line because God is the king, he's the author of history, and this happens to be the story that he's writing. God delighted in creating you with the will. He delighted in creating the choice where you could walk away. When we walked away, God promised from the very beginning that he would deal with that that he would provide a great deliverance. It says right here in Genesis chapter 3, it says that he will crush the head of the serpent. He said that serpent will have animosity against the woman. There will be tremendous conflict between the dragon seed and the seed of the woman as she seeks to give birth to this child. But eventually she'll produce a child that will be able to give great victory to mankind. That's the essence of what we're reading in this incredible drama as we see this woman, because this woman that's clothed with the sun, that's clothed with the moon and has the 12 stars, she's much bigger than just Eve. She represents all of the covenant community, down through from Eve all the way through to the Virgin Mary, that's seeking to give birth to the child Jesus. And it presents in Revelation chapter 12, what I just read to you, that the dragon is standing there as she's seeking to give birth, poised, trying to destroy the child. 
It's a vivid image. You can just picture this incredible woman. She's seeking to give birth to a child, and instead of a physician being there who's going to handle the child gently, there's a fire-breathing red dragon, which pictures his murderous violence and his hate, and he's trying to snuff out this child. Now, how did that work out in history? Well, let's take the very first child that Adam and Eve generated. We turn to Genesis chapter 4. The very first child that Adam and Eve generated was Cain. And then they gave birth to a second son named Abel. You know the story from Genesis chapter 4 well. Remember, God said, I want you to offer a sacrifice to me. And so Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices. God told Cain that he accepted the animal sacrifice, the sheep sacrifice of Abel. He told Cain that if he would follow the example of his brother, then he would have a strong relationship with him. Instead, Cain got furious, which is the seedbed of all murder. We've learned that anger, we've learned in a lot of our studies this past year, that anger is not a light thing, it's a very serious thing. And Cain became angry, and he snuffed out the life of his brother. So in Genesis chapter 4, we have the very first promised child, which is Abel, and he's snuffed out by the dragon. So you see, sin doesn't just kind of grow and develop. There's not really an evolution in evil. Evil just kind of jumps on the scene like a hungry lion that wants to destroy the child that Eve is going to produce. And so Abel is snuffed out. God in his grace enables Adam and Eve to have another child named Seth. And the promised line continues. You jump to the story of Joseph. Somebody tell me, what's one of the major conflicts in the story of Joseph? What's threatening in the story of Joseph? In other words, why did God sell, allow Joseph, his brother, to do this heinous thing? Why did God allow Joseph to be sold into Egypt? As the story of Genesis unfolds, as we move toward the end of that chapter in the life of Joseph, why in the world did God allow this really good son, Joseph, Why did he allow him to be sold into Egypt? There was a horrible famine. In other words, the dragon brought this incredible disaster, this incredible drought throughout the whole land of Canaan. Jacob and his sons, his 11 sons, are threatened. Judah is one of those sons, and he's going to become the beginning of the messianic line, and Judah is threatened. His whole life is threatened. And so God, in this incredible drama, takes Joseph, puts him in Egypt, gives him the plan to save during the seven years of plenty and to store food. And because Joseph was at the right place at the right time, he's able to bring his brothers down and he ends up saving the life of the very brother that Judah thought was his greatest enemy, Joseph, the jealous brother he was jealous of, God in this incredible drama enables Joseph to save his son, Judah. The story goes a little bit further. You know how the story gets focused. We have Judah being the promised child. But as we move into a thousand years before Christ, with a little baby born named David. And he was born in Bethlehem, just like the coming Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And David rises up and he becomes God's anointed. But you know, all the kids learn in their Sunday school stories what was happening in the life of David. In the early life of David, there was another man named Saul. And Saul was the first king of Israel. And as David began to rise in his popularity, as David began to gain momentum, what happened to Saul? 
Saul became furious. His anger built up against David. And one time while David was playing for him, Saul actually reared back and threw a javelin right at David, trying to nail him to the wall. He tried to kill him. David had a flea. Saul even tried to kill his own son. And then David spent the early part of his life, as you're reading 1 Samuel, it's one of the major plot lines in the book of Samuel. David is running all over the wilderness. Why? Because Saul is trying to kill him. You ever ask yourself, why in the world does Saul want to kill him? It's the dragon. And we will pick it up at this point in our next encounter, as Dave explains how Saul's threats against King David's life relate to the dragon trying to destroy the seed of the woman. What a privilege to begin to see the plot line of the Bible, and to know that God is writing a story in history that culminated in his son dying on the cross, but then rising from the dead. You'll have to join us next time to complete the story.